Let's pray as we uh, get into the word of God this morning. Father in heaven, you are Lord of your creation. You are Lord of your church. You are the God of history who is moving all things to the goal that you have set in place, which is none other than your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, all things are moving to him. He is the goal of all things. You are not surprised by anything that we encounter on this earth, any difficulty we go through, no matter what it is, how uh, minor it is, or how horrific it is. Lord, you know all. You are omniscient. You have a trans-historical view that none of us have. You are God and you are Lord. And so we come, Lord, as we open your revelation again, your word, we come just saying to you, Lord God, we trust you. We love you. We look to you. We adore you. Lord, you are God. And we thank you for saving us, for redeeming us, for setting us in right relationship with you, for the blessings you pour out in our lives, whether it's the Holy Spirit himself and his presence or provision or friendships, or family relationships, whatever it is, Lord, all of it has come from you. And so, Lord, may our focus this morning as we open uh, another section of Jonah be upon you. May our focus not deviate. May our eyes be fixed on Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Jonah, we remember Jonah, Jonah had concluded that it would not be in his best interest to go to Nineveh. Jonah had surmised that he would be better off boarding a boat bound for Tarshish. And once aboard that boat, Jonah had decided it would be best for him to doze off and leave the sailing up to the crew. You see, Jonah's self had steered Jonah. It was Jonah's best interest that had been uppermost in Jonah's mind, in his way of thinking. Whatever would bring Jonah comfort had been Jonah's primary concern. This little book teaches us in such a profound and powerful way that our hearts and God's heart can be so different. Jonah the prophet has acted out in all this self-determined, self-justified impudence, resisting, disobeying, fleeing, sleeping, refusing to pray until chapter 2, and at the point when the fish vomits Jonah onto the beach, we almost picture God there as a parent with his beached child saying to the child, now are you done, Jonah? Is your little display finished? Can, can we start again, Jonah, and do things right this time? What we need to see as we begin today is that God's prior choice, God's prior choice that his prophet Jonah go to Nineveh, that choice has not 
change despite all of Jonah's drama and misbehavior. Despite Jonah flagrantly displaying himself as woefully inadequate for God's mission, God still wants Jonah to go on mission. God still wants to use this rebellious person to do God's bidding. It's an amazing thing. What a merciful God we worship together this morning. He still uses Jonah's like you and like me. And so we come to chapter 3. Jonah is there on the beach. He's still soaked in seawater and in whale bile. And then the word of Yahweh, the word of the Lord, came to Jonah the second time. What we observe here is that the wording of this verse is very striking, striking in its close similarity, if you have a Bible open, in its close similarity to the very first verse of the entire book where we had there the first calling of Jonah being issued. So now here at 3.1, after all Jonah's drama, after God's chastening of Jonah, God calls Jonah again a second time. It's like God pushes a cosmic reset button here. God renews missional opportunity for Jonah. And here, I think we should really be struck with what I am calling the outrageous patience of God the outrageous patience of God. God is so patient, friends, that he grants second opportunities to entirely failed sinners. Jonah is given a second chance, and and in this, Jonah, he is joining the ranks of a person like Moses, who even after Moses had murdered somebody, Moses was given fresh opportunity to serve God in a very mighty way. Jonah joins the ranks of Moses. Or Jonah joins the ranks of Peter, who after his denial of Jesus was restored by Jesus. I hope we understand this morning that our God is great in his patience and great in his mercy. Well, just as God had given specific instructions to Jonah when God had first called Jonah, so God does again here in verse 2. Watch this. God says to Jonah, Arise, that is, picture it, get off the beach where you are currently lying, Jonah, and do what? Go to Nineveh. See how God's plan hasn't changed? Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. You see, friends, God hasn't budged. He hasn't budged. God still wants his word voiced in Nineveh. God is still after Nineveh. God is still on mission to Nineveh, and now God recommands Jonah to be his mouthpiece 
in Nineveh. God's mission to Nineveh has not changed one whit despite all of Jonah's drama. Nineveh, that terrorist state, is still as much on God's heart as it ever was. God cares deeply and God cares sincerely about the lost in Nineveh. God wants his warning to Nineveh to be issued there for the purpose of turning the Ninevites from their evil to God himself. God knows that he is Nineveh's ultimate good. Their ultimate good. Even if the Ninevites right now don't know that, God knows it. God is still after Nineveh. While we pause here, we pause here in our current tumultuous moment of history to consider this very salient question. And the question is, what is important to our God? In this current moment of widespread, widespread disagreement and division and opinion and soapboxes of all sorts concerning vaccines and vaccine passports and all the rest of it, in this moment, are we asking and reckoning with that question in any serious sort of a way? What is important to our God? Does the church of Jesus Christ remain resolutely focused on God and God's priorities and God's word and God's mission and the fact that we are God's, each and every one of us, the world is God's, the church is God's, and the telos, the telos, the very goal of our entire reality, historical and otherwise, is God himself. Are we asking the right question? What does God prioritize? What matters to him? Or are things otherwise? Have we lost our focus? Or are we in danger of losing our focus as his church? You see, friends, Jonah had become so self-focused and so self-concerned, stuck as he was in that idolatry of self that we talked about last Sunday, he was so stuck in that that now he was ignoring God's mission and God's heart and God's purposes. Well, what about us? And I include myself in the us. My prayer for the church is that we heed this portion of God's word and that we keep God and we keep God's word and his priorities and his mission clearly, clearly in focus, ever in focus for his glory, even in a time that is so bizarre, frankly, and so difficult as this one is, that we keep him and his mission clearly in focus. God wanted Jonah in Nineveh all along. God wanted Jonah preaching to the lost. God wanted Jonah declaring God's potent word right there in a city that was swimming in darkness, that was sinking in darkness. This is what mattered to God. And notice here in verse 2 that Jonah is not free 
to bring whatever clever message he thinks will be best for the occasion. God says to Jonah, listen to what he says, call out against Nineveh, the message that I tell you. The message that I tell you. The message that Jonah will preach in Nineveh will be God's message. It will be God's word that Jonah will be bringing. The the only potent transformative word that will affect change in stony Ninevite hearts, in stony human hearts, is the word of God and no other word. Now, when God originally commanded Jonah to preach in Nineveh, going back to that first calling again, back in chapter 1, it was right at this point, right here, where Jonah had disobeyed where Jonah had taken off, where he had boarded the boat. Well, what happens the second time? Let's let's read now verse 3. So Jonah arose and did what? And went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. He's going. I envision Jonah getting up off the beach here, if you'll permit me just this little picture here, getting up off the beach there, dusting off, from himself as much wet sand as he can, unwrapping the last few strands of seaweed from his shoulders and his neck, and walking. Without saying a word, Jonah now walks in the direction of Nineveh. And friends, listen. Jonah, I think you'll agree, he has absolutely, at this point, no resume that qualifies him to do this mission that the Lord has reissued to him. He's got no resume. In fact, by his disobedience, Jonah has shown that he is very undeserved, isn't he, of doing any service for God. Jonah is an unworthy servant. But guess what? God grants undeserved privileges to unworthy servants. He grants undeserved privileges to unworthy servants. Servants. God is sending this still, sandy, wet, uh, tail-between-his-legs prophet (laughs) to Nineveh. He's sending them there to serve in preaching. You know, it doesn't matter who we are. Each and every one of us who serve God don't deserve our roles. It doesn't matter who you are. We don't deserve our roles. We are all, each and every one of us is a Jonah. Each of us has failed God. Each of us has disobeyed God. And yet God grants us the mercy of serving him even still with the gifts and the talents that he has granted to us. Isn't it amazing? Our God is patient and our God is kind beyond imagination. Why do we deserve his patience? We don't. Any of us. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Two things to mention about this second sentence here in verse 3. First of all, in the original Hebrew, There's a little phrase, it's very interesting, there's a little phrase included here that does not get reflected in the ESV that we have on screen here. The phrase in question in the original Hebrew, as it's translated into English, 
is the phrase, a city great to God. It appears in the Hebrew text, the original Hebrew. Nineveh was a city great to God. So the idea in the original Hebrew text seems to be that Nineveh, that city that's full of terrorists, was important to God. That seems to be the idea, that that this city mattered to God. Again, the question that confronts us this morning is the question, what matters to God? What is important to God? The lost, violent, uncouth, godless people of Nineveh were important to God. The second thing to notice here is the description of Nineveh Nineveh being three days' journey in breadth. I think the translation in the 1978 NIV is probably the most accurate in that I could find in capturing the sense. The 1978 NIV has this. It took three days to go all through it. It took three days to go all through it. So for Jonah to be able to deliver God's message in every neighborhood of this city of Nineveh, it would take three days of moving about throughout the neighborhoods of the city. Verse four uh, reports what happened on day one. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. It's day one. And he did what? He called out. The last time that Jonah had called out was in chapter 2, verse 1, where he'd been calling out to Yahweh in his distress there underwater. Now, the rescued and recommissioned Jonah calls out with God's word to the lost people of Nineveh. And what precisely does Jonah call out? He declares, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now friends, let's pause here and let's understand the situation. Jonah is an Israelite. Jonah is walking alone into one of the major royal cities of his nation's enemy, this nation of Assyria. In my hometown of Edmonton, there used to be a sign on the highway, uh, Highway 2, as you entered uh, the city. I don't think it's there anymore, but it used to be there, and it said, Welcome to Edmonton, City of Champions. Well, as Jonah came into Nineveh, there could well have been a sign that said, Welcome to Nineveh, city of violence. Because Nineveh was on the map for its violence, for its lawlessness, for its brutality. And now this foreigner named Jonah has come a day's journey, a full day's journey, inside this violent royal city of his enemy, think of it, and he's loudly declared a message of destruction on the city. Now talk about nerves of steel. I mean, we're pretty hard on Jonah as we go through the book here, but, but, but consider him here. Talk about nerves of steel. Talk about a hard ministry that Jonah is now undertaking here. 
But you see, here's the thing. God, God being God and God being great and God being wise and God being powerful, God had preceded Jonah on the streets of Nineveh. God had already been at work on Nineveh, softening the hard, stony hearts of the Ninevites, preparing them to hear the message that he put in the mouth of Jonah. Before Jonah ever showed up here, God had been at work. How? Well, remember, track with me here, remember that the Ninevites were ancient people who attached great divine significance to natural disasters and natural phenomena. They attach great divine significance to those things. And we know three significant things about Nineveh's experience around this time when Jonah showed up on the streets of Nineveh to preach. First of all, in 765 BC, a bad famine started in the land. By some accounts, the, the famine that started in 765, lasted for seven years. And two years after that famine began, so in 763 BC, there was a total solar eclipse, a total solar eclipse. And then the third thing is that already at this time, as Jonah is preaching here, Assyria had already been weakening as a military power. They had recently lost a number of military skirmishes to enemy nations that lived around them. So all three of these things then converging together, the famine, the total solar eclipse, the defeats militarily, these things, these were happenings that would certainly be interpreted by these ancient people as omens, as things that suggested divine displeasure. And it was then that Jonah showed up on the streets of Nineveh with his declaration from God in the power of God, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now friends, again, remember that Jonah's message here, we have to keep this in view, that his message to Nineveh is the message that God had given him. Jonah's message in verse four has been breathed out by God. And because that's the case, we soon see, if we look into this, it's a very profound message that God is issuing to Nineveh here. Now concentrate, to see this, concentrate with me on the verb there at the end of the verse, overthrown. Let's, let's meditate on this together. The Hebrew verb behind this particular English translation, overthrown, this is a verb that in the, in the particular stem that we find it here, can mean both overturn and turn. Overturn and turn. And so the question becomes, which is it here at Jonah 3.4? Which, which is the best translation? Should we translate this verse as the ESV has translated with the sense of overturn? Nineveh will be overthrown. Nineveh will be flipped upside down. Nineveh will suffer destruction in 40 days. Should we translate it that way? Or should we translate it as Nineveh will turn? That is, Nineveh will repent. They will turn to God. And in turning to God, they will find forgiveness in him. 
Well, with a commentator named Jack Sasson, who wrote a commentary on, on Jonah, I think that Jonah and the Ninevites, listen, Jonah and the Ninevites, in other words, all the people on the ground, both preacher and all the listeners, they would understand God's message in the overturn, overthrow sense. Jonah and his listeners in Nineveh would understand God's message as a prophecy of coming judgment, of coming doom for their city, unless something radical happened, unless they humbled themselves and turned from their violence and their evil and their godlessness. And I would argue further that God wanted his message understood in that way in the overturning sense. Your city, Ninevites, will be overturned in 40 days if you don't repent. This was a clear warning of potential doom. But in God's mind, again, this message that Jonah preaches comes from God. In God's perception, he knew what would happen didn't he? Nineveh would indeed turn, we'll see that next week, turn in this instance. They would repent, and so in God's omniscience, he could say, yet 40 days and Nineveh will turn, because God knew, after all, what was about to happen. God knew that a threat of judgment against these people would produce a turning in them so that they would not themselves be overturned. And so I think to honor the profound nature of God's message here, I think that we read both senses into this verb. Yet 40 days in Nineveh will be overturned, human perspective, this was a warning of doom, and also yet 40 days and Nineveh will turn, divine perspective, there would indeed be a happy outcome. I think it's probably good for us to hear again here, Jeremiah 18, verses 7 and 8, in connection with this. Again, if Nineveh turned, God would overturn his province to overturn his promise to overturn Nineveh. <laughs> so that passage in Jeremiah reads as follows. We read it once before in this series. If at any time, God says, I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, i.e., overturn it. And if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. Once again, if Nineveh turned, God would overturn his promised overturning of Nineveh. And I just pause here to say, aren't the scriptures genius and glorious? Indeed they are. That's as far as we want to go in Jonah today. We're going to wait until next week to explore Nineveh's response to God's message. Now, according to Romans 15, 4, these four verses of the Old Testament book of Jonah that we've explored today were written for our instruction. 
Jonah 3, verses 1 through 4, were written to instruct the church in 2022. And one of the things that we've tried to highlight from this passage this morning is God's perspective, God's heart, God's mission, God's purposes, what mattered to God. God God still desired that the original mission that he'd called Jonah to would yet go ahead even after all of Jonah's drama. God had not changed his mind. Nineveh was still important to God. What matters? Lots and lots of human drama. Opinions, arguments, positions, pushbacks, uh, divisions, protests, civil disobedience, insistence on rights, and on and on. But the question is, again, in all of it, what matters to God? And I'll tell you what matters to God. God's unchanged mission matters to God. Repentance and forgiveness of sins must be proclaimed, the Scripture says, to all nations in the name of Jesus Christ. You see, my friends, the world is in its 40 days. The end is approaching. We are closer to the return of Jesus Christ this morning than we were last night. Church, amidst the noise, and there's lots of it, amidst all the personal soapboxes of all sorts, we must remain on mission for him. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Matthew 24, verse 14. God's mission has not changed, and God has a church for his mission, and God's mission is to the nations with the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. God has placed you and I for this season in this province that has the largest unreached people group in all of North America, right here in Quebec. What matters to God? May that be the question that is burning in our hearts at such a time as this. Our focus, friends, must be on loving God and loving neighbor, on persuading people, as we depend on the Spirit, persuading people to turn from their sin because we know as the church that the wages of sin is eternal death. Turn people, persuade people away from sin and eternal death to what? To the free gift of God, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is what matters to God. This is his mission, and this is what his church is all about. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I ask your forgiveness this morning for, in my own thinking, getting off course 
for losing sight and focus on your mission and what you are up to in the world and the fact that time is ticking, the end is approaching, the return of Jesus is going to happen. We know not when, but we know that it will. May you find us faithful about the task that you have specifically and explicitly declared in your word for your church. May we not get off focus, off kilter. Father, help us and thank you for your word. At any point in history, we can go to your word and there find order, there find your revelation, your promises which are 100% true 100% of the time. Lord, thank you for your revelation. It's to you we go. You have the words of eternal life. No one else does, but you do, Lord. And so we recommit our hearts and our minds to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.